This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and thank you for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my lovely service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be visiting with Dr. Adam McClosey, and he is the director of the Family Dog Research Project, which is one of the largest dog research groups in the world. He also is with the Edfos Lorend University in Hungary, and he's one of the best known and most published experts on dog cognition and behavior. So we're so excited to have him today to talk with us about his work and also how his work translates to working dogs. So he also, his latest book that you're going to want to know about is called Dog Behavior, Evolution, and Cognition, and is published by the Oxford University Press. So we have so much to talk with him about today. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Adam McClosey to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. You know that feeling when you go to clean the litter box and it's a complete disaster? Yeah, we've got you covered. Introducing World's Best Cat Litter Zero Mess, the advanced litter that gives you two times better clumping and more odor control with less litter. Zero Mess combines the concentrated power of corn with super-absorbent plant fibers. Translation, scoop once and you're done. Find it at a pet store near you and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Dr. McClosey, and welcome. Hello, hello. It's good to speak to you. Hello. Yeah, we're so excited that you could be with us today to talk about all the wonderful things you're doing. And we'd love for you to start by telling us about the Family Dog Research Project. What is that and what kind of work do you do there? Well, the the project is now more than 20 years old. We started that uh, a long time ago. And the main focus was what it's in the title, basically, uh, the start research on investigating how dogs uh, fit into the human family, what is their relationship with their owners and other members of the family, and basically what sort of cognitive skills they have and how they perform as a member of the social group. And obviously, we want, would also like to understand their evolution. So how from a wolf-like creature, evolution created or it has evolved a species, a very specific species uh, like a dog that many people treat as a friend or a family member. 
Wow, which is what we all want to know, right, about how we interact with our dogs and and how they interact with us socially. And I just saw this week about some new research that was published, I think it was in Nature Communication, regarding the origination of dogs, where they were talking about it's actually 40,000 years that they're thinking, instead of more recent, what we had been thinking. So tell us about that. Well, I'm really very interested in this, although we have to know that that is not so important for a dog owner. So it doesn't matter whether the dogs were domesticated 20,000 years ago or 40,000 years ago. It's, we are very lucky that we have the dogs at all. Obviously, scientists are interested in this uh, fact, but the problem with this research is that if you are following this, you find out that in the last, let's say, 15 years, there have been so many different dates. From 100,000 to 15,000 years, you have all the dates in these papers and obviously researchers argue based on different sort of different data so I think that is not so important because really the domestication happened probably in the last uh, yes 20 to 40,000 years I think what is more important from our perspective is the change that you uh, witness to some extent also in present dogs how they evolved from a carnivore, a real carnivore, a wolf-like carnivore, to a pet, to a companion that is interacting so well with a totally different species, the human, and still there is so much in common of the human and the dog. And I think that's really interesting for us, rather than the exact date, which is probably, we will never be sure, by the way. Yeah, that's exactly what I have been reading, that we don't know any more than we did about exactly the specific date. And it sounds like there needs to be a lot of additional DNA research. But I think, like you said, great point that we really care more about the relationship and the and how we interact with our dogs. I know that for people like myself that have an assistance dog, that relationship and that behavior is so important and it's just amazing to witness every day. So tell us, Dr. McClellan, about some of your greatest discoveries that you've had over the 20 years or however long you've been working on this about dog behavior. What has excited you the most that you've learned? Well, this is again a very interesting question that I get very often and I always smile a little bit when I have to answer because a lot of our so-called discoveries are actually quite well known by dog owners. What scientists in this field are mostly doing is we basically provide some sort of objective proof or if you like evidence that those observations of dog owners are really uh, true in a scientific sense. So just uh, to tell you about our one of our first discoveries was and it was hotly debated and is to some extent also debated today that dogs are able to react to the pointing gesture that people are using commonly every day when they are showing the dog to go first or somewhere or where they have thrown the ball and so on. So understanding the pointing gesture is a very typical feature of a well-socialized family dog, but really that their dogs are able to do it, this had to be underpinned by research. And there was a debate because, by the way, uh, monkeys and apes uh, that are regarded by many people as as cognitively more advanced compared to the dogs are not so good in this communication with humans. So we had to provide good and solid evidence that dogs in this case, in this specific situation, are actually uh, to some extent better as uh, chimpanzees, orangutans or other monkey species. So this is a sort of a discovery that we made very early. 
Interesting. Yeah, because I know with having a working dog, because Lovey is my fourth dog, and just the hand gestures that I have learned to use with them because I work, I'm in meetings a lot, or I'm, you know, where I can't actually talk with them, and I've used hand gestures to communicate with them. And it's amazing. I have to be careful because they'll pick that up quicker than they will the verbal command. So I have to be very mindful of how I'm using that and, and my own gestures with them because they seem so sensitive to it and so responsive. Yes, and I think this is what people know by practice or by simple experience. But for the research, we have to provide the evidence, and that's what keeps us as busy. But there's another <laughs> example I can give you, for example, that many people, again, know about sort of subconsciously, is that dogs can also learn by observation. So not just observing a gesture and maybe uh, finding out about the communicative significance of these gestures, but also learn about the word by observing the human. So what the human is doing, how we manipulate things, dogs can also learn from that. And again, that was sort of known probably from from many dog people, but we were among the first that actually have shown in experiments that yes, if a dog is observing a human, then he can learn from this and, and use this knowledge in a new situation. Yeah, that's so awesome. Well, do you do any kind of research specific to working dogs or is it all family dogs well, most of our research concerns family dogs. The the issue with the working dogs is, is often very specific. And also, it depends very much on the training that the working dogs receive. And uh, by the way, our support is coming from that sort of basic research where we have to work more on family dogs in general. But in some situations, we have to train the family dogs to perform in a specific experiment. So, for example, if you're using so-called touch screens that the dog had, has to touch with their nose, for that, obviously, we train the dogs. So they're, in some sense, becoming a sort of a working dog, but this is working for science and not really working to help people. But a specific research on working dogs is what we have done is concerned more like a little bit of the genetic influence on behavior, so whether there's a difference regarding genetics in different uh, bloodlines of working dogs, for example. Right, which is always such a big question about the the bloodlines and the capabilities and successes of the working dogs. Yeah. Well, so how are dogs selected to be or to participate in some of your studies? Well, there is no real selection. The selection is that we put out advertisements either on the internet, Facebook, using various social media, like uh, radio shows like yours, for example. So people hear about us and then they offer their dogs and their free time to come to the department, participate in these experiments. It basically are interactions with the dog. They get some food or interactions with toys. So it's not a real experiment in the scientific sense. It's more like a happy playing time together. (laughs) (laughs) with some rules obviously and after that uh, so that's how we do it and we have in Budapest a relatively large database about thousand dogs are and owners are in this database and we pick them either because we need some special skills so for example we need dogs that like to play with a ball or they enjoy eating some nice food or the owners can also volunteer so it is really a very loose um, interaction how we find our dogs in Budapest. Yeah, it does sound like a fun place for dogs and their owners to actually participate. I know I've done a few little studies and it's been really fun to watch your dog and how they interact and what the dog communicates, which is just always so amazing. 
And it's also for the owners quite interesting because they are obviously interested in these experiments. They want to find out how the dogs are performing sometimes or how they react to a new situation. And that's why it's interesting for the owners. And if we have dogs that are coming back repeatedly, so some dogs come back, let's say, two, three times a year, I mean, by the third time, they really are, the owners telling this, this is what the owners are telling us, that the dogs are pulling the leash already when they come close to the, the building, even because they know that they will have a good time with us. So they like to come and they enjoy this whole interaction with the scientists. It's like Disneyland for dogs, right? Yeah, yes, it's sort of. And we really try to provide always new things. So, so new experiments, new designs, which is new for us, but also for the dog. So it's, I think, a very interesting experience for, all, for the whole family sometimes. Yeah, I'm always so amazed at how engaged my working dogs are, how they want to learn. They love it when I when I engage them and push them and, and let them experience other things. And I'm really always, I don't know why, but I'm surprised by that, of their interest and in how they maintain that over the years that they love to learn and they love to do new things. And that behavior, which again is a part of the breeding and all those other things. But do you see that in, in most of your, the different types of dogs that you work with? I think that is very interesting what you are saying because this is one important aspect of the family dog situation that most people forget that for a normal typical animal learning is a basic sort of a state. Now in the if you are having a working dog that's very important and it develops automatically because you are engaging this dog you are training this dog so the dog gets in the typical mood or state of being able to learning and wanting to learn. Now in the family dogs typical owners are not always conscious about this. This and they don't provide the social environment for the dogs. So those dogs are not so keen on learning. They're not so keen on doing very often anything. They get very tired by exposing them to a problem situation. And I think this is a problem what family dog owners should understand that for an animal, for any animal, it's very important that, and they are built in a way that they have to learn. Now you have also to provide the necessary environment where there's a possibility to experience and learn. If a dog is kept, uh, you know, 24 hours in a flat, then it won't learn and even uh, has not, won't have a drive to learn. And I think this is a, an issue because we feel that, that in the cities where these dogs are rather deprived and uh, that is a problem also for the research because we invite a dog and you can immediately see whether it's a dog that has been socializable, that really wants to experience or just, uh, you know, wants to eat and lie down and don't do anything if possible. Yeah, and that's so true. And the stimulation, I mean, even Lovey, when I'm working all day and she's with me, she still gets bored and she'll roll her eyes and look at me like, really? You know, she needs that stimulation. When I'm sitting working at my computer too long, she communicates that to me and I have to be aware of that and give her the mental stimulation that she needs, which is to play or to learn something new, which is what she really likes, is that stimulation of being engaged and learning and doing. Yes, and that's really a responsibility for the owners because obviously most dogs don't have a choice, so they are closed in a flat, they are walked on a leash. So if you yeah. offer them this sort of freedom, they can be deprived, and I think this is not a good way of keeping them. So I think this is a responsibility that people should take very seriously. I agree. I agree. It definitely impacts their quality of life, right? Just like yeah. for all of us, if we're stimulated and, and using our minds, we feel better and we have a better quality of life. 
That's why it's important also because we have now a project on dog aging. And again, it's known from human research that if the people who have a more active life, they are using their mind, that they also have a better mental quality if they are getting older. So for a dog that are living quite long nowadays, especially because they have good veterinary care, if people are not caring about their minds, they might end up with a good dog that is physically in a very good shape, but as a not really a mind that is in a good shape as an old dog and they will get a lot of other dementia problems which is not a very nice thing to live with a dog that has a severe dementia for example. I agree completely. My retired assistance dog, Whistle, he's 12 and a half and he still wants to work. He's still every day. He wants to work for me and pick up things or, or close a door for me, you know, and I let him do that. And I agree with you that it really helps his mind and has maintained him to be as alert as he is. And he's still very, very engaged at 12 and a half for a large dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take just a quick break. And here's some important messages from our sponsors, but we're going to come back and continue visiting with Dr. McClosey and learning more about dog behavior and dog cognition. So come right back. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. They wake me up every morning. Their tails are always wagging. They're just running constantly and chasing, you know, shadows and sticks. Their coats are much better. They're very happy dogs. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I have three dogs, golden retrievers, and I make their own food, ground beef, white rice, um, eggs, including the shells, and the Dynavite supplement, and then the Lico Chops. It takes a few minutes every week. Before the Dynavite, they were overweight. They slept all the time. So now they jump all over me when I'm putting it in their bowls. They're crazy about this food. And their vet said that it's so much healthier for them. Go check out rescue dogs. They're just waiting to be loved. Get them started on this Dynavite diet, the health food for animals, and you'll see amazing results. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Dot com. <laughs> Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio, and we're so happy to be visiting with Dr. Adam McClosey today from the Family Dog Research Project. And before the break, we were talking about some of the work that you've been doing, Dr. McClosey, and I was wondering if you could talk with us about some of the training methods that you've observed and recommendations and and how you're engaging dogs in training. Uh, well, I must admit, I'm not a dog trainer. I, I don't have any dogs. So so for me, uh, dog training is a little bit far issue. But I mean, obviously, as an etologist or a, a person who is working with dogs a lot, I have lots of experience, in indirect experience about dog training. And obviously, the, the good thing is that it has changed a lot. Uh, at least the approach to dog training has changed a lot in the last 20 years. But it's still, I think, in many ways, a little bit of a schizophrenic situation. 
situation that in one hand we explain uh, with that the dog has a very complex cognitive skills and so on and so forth and then our training methods are sometimes quite primitive using very basic conditioning for, for teaching the dog to uh, solve one or the other tasks. So I think there is maybe some more to do in order to make this training also more exciting or a little bit more cognition should go into the way how dogs are trained. And um, in this aspect, I think we have always also contributed a little bit to these possible changes by introducing a I would say a new method. Obviously, the, the phenomenon is not new. Uh, this is uh, that dogs can learn by observation, and we call this uh, method do as I do. Maybe uh, some listeners have already heard about this. And the basic idea is that we are explicitly training the dog that they should copy a human action. So if the human is, let's say, sitting down, then we can just tell to this trained dog that do it, and the dog would sit down because this was the action that he observed from by watching the human. And after this training, if so, if you have a dog that is able to do this do-as-I-do training method, then obviously you can also, to some extent, show the dog new action and he would copy it. And I think, for example, this method or this additional method uh, would help a lot in training dogs that are helping disabled people or um, in many other situations also where the dog has to pick up very rapidly a new action or use a familiar action in a new situation that is also sometimes quite complicated for some dogs. So I think this uh, do-as-I-do method could really help in facilitating the learning of the dog. It is a cognitively totally different task that is used in other training methods. And also in some situations, it's even, I would say, better than another method, but I would not claim that this is the only and the best method to train a dog. Well, I so appreciate you talking about that because when you use the word primitive, that certainly resonates with me because when I went through training 25 years ago, it was primitive. We used correction. I was trained to use, you know, training collars and some of those things that were much more aggressive. And when I went through the training with Lovey two years ago, it was extremely different. It was positive reinforcement. It was rewarding with treats. And I have to say that was a much, I felt a much better way to build a relationship with her and to train her and for us to bond and work together. It happened much faster, you know, and as I said, she loves the work and loves to be engaged. So it was a very different training method. And I feel much better about it than the more primitive, older ways that I was trained 25 years ago. Yes, and I think what also has changed is the realization that what is important is the what you call the bond, I would say attachment because between the owner and the dog. And there was not much 20 years ago, so we were or some other research groups, the first, who really introduced the concept of attachment in the whole uh, scene of dog training by showing that Yes, dogs can be attached to the human owner very much in a way how an infant or a young child is attached to the mother or the father. And this is a very important relationship and the training or the communication could be built 
on this foundation. And if the attachment is good or is appropriate, I would say, then it's much better uh, or the owner has a much better chance to, to be a successful trainer of the dog than if the, the attachment is not functional. So I think this is, again, a new concept. And in, in many modern training books or trainers, you can actually hear about this or read about this, which I find very important. But this is, again, that the owners have to be conscious that they have to build this attachment relationship just as they do it if they are having a child at home. Right. And the way that I have been trained is that you have to be consistent. You can't just practice this on the weekends. You know, you have to do this every day. And one of the things with Lovey that's been so interesting is that bond is I hand feed her quite a bit. And that really escalated that bond between the two of us. And I'm the only one who can feed her. I'm amazed by the human animal bond. Yes, that's true. Although we could discuss whether it's good or not good, how many people feeding the dog. And obviously, I think what is what you mentioned at the beginning is the important for the consistency, which I would call actually rules. And again, this rule has some sort of a negative feel, or some people feel negative about it, especially because nowadays it's more popular to talk about freedom and everyone is free to do whatever she wants and so on. But I think in tra- even in traditional human societies, but also if you have a workplace or you have other obligations, there are rules that you have to follow. So I think if a dog is, uh, and the dogs as a social animal expect rules in this this social uh, environment, so I think it is nothing bad if you have a rule and everyone is, including the dog, is following the rule from the beginning and that helps the dog to function in that social environment. And I think that's again what some people don't really understand or follow and maybe in the problem or the difference between a child and a dog could be that with children, we have many alternative ways to introduce the rules or to, to manipulate the social situation. Now with the dogs, this is more restricted because we can't talk with them. We, we can't call them on the phone. We can't talk to the neighbors to get involved, which is every, we don't have teachers around. So with the dog, I think it's, as you just said, it's more important to have a, a rule-based relationship also because it really helps and actually even sometimes boosts the whole relationship between the dog and the owner. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I've had different, as I said, training methods and different routines, you know, really is what we've established. And I, when I've been more relaxed with more freedoms and less consistency, I really see a difference. It's not the same as when I'm much more um, structured and really following through and being consistent. It, it really makes a big difference, I think. But again, I'm a working dog relationship, not a family pet. So that, that is different. Well, I mean, and not, not so much because in a family we have usually, I mean, you have, it's good to have rules. And what I would add maybe that if people are very keen on having, uh, or they not always like this, then they can always design or, or have a rule then when there are no rules. So like, like a playful time. So you could sign to the dog or you can agree with the dog that, okay, in, and this afternoon we take, put all the rules aside and we do what you want or what we do, we go out and play. But that should be very specific and it should be signaled to the dog that now this is an exception and that's not the rule. Because obviously this is like for going for holidays where you are not so keen on following rules, uh, which is, <laughs> could be also a problem for some other reasons. But in general, that's where 
where you also need this sort of engagement, but that should not be the rule, but that should be rather an exception. And I think dogs would probably also like it. But And you can go out for a specific place, uh, not uh, teaching the dog that you can do it is also in the flat or in the garden. And if you go home, then the rules are back and everyone is following them as far as they can, because I think this really helps and makes the life of the dog and the owner easier. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And I mean, it's like anything you need that you need a break, you need to have some fun, (laughs) but you also need some structure and and how you function as a family. Well, and I love that the Family Dog Project does a lot of education and a lot of information sharing and you do free online seminars, right? Yeah, that's true. That's the one where, well, I mean, the idea came from uh, the sort of the problem that how can we thank the dog owners to, to help us? Because basically, we, they, they don't get paid. They devote a lot of their free time to come to us, to spend hours with us, and so on and so forth. So one way to say thank you is that you're organizing these, these seminars. Uh, these are free. Uh, there are seminars uh, specific for the Hungarian dog owners because they usually don't speak English. So we have a special day for them where they can come and they actually can see what the research has achieved. They can ask questions. So we have a day together. But the other part of the seminar is that it's also international. So we also have an English version where everybody can join uh, through the internet uh, or Facebook and uh, and hear about the most uh, current results of our group. And I think uh, this is something that is important to keep in contact with the dog owners and also with other researchers. And obviously, we can't expect that they read all the papers and all the scientific um, output from our lab. So I think this is a good way to to disseminate research knowledge and hopefully they can also use it in their everyday life. Um, And I think this is a good idea. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. I think that's wonderful and really wanted to share that with our listeners because you do distribute so much valuable information, the latest information, because I know when I hear something on the news, I can go to your website and it's an article's already posted about it. And it's, it's such good quality information that I think is so important and why we really wanted you to be on our show to share that with our listeners because we care so much about our dogs and our relationships and how we can make that better. So tell us, what project are you working on now? What can we look forward to hearing about in the coming months? Well, there are many projects. Sometimes I lose track of all the projects that, that are <laughs> doing at the department because we are really a lot of people. We are clo- near to 30 researchers, which is really a wow. huge amount of uh, work. So one project that is, just came to my mind now is uh, about actually a problem that is becoming now more and more common is the problem that are dogs alone for a long time and they develop separation behavior that is a problem, but especially when they are already developed. So we are trying to understand this process, how or this development of this behavior. Um, First of all, or one aspect of this is by analyzing the vocalization of these dogs. So we uh, isolate dogs for a short time, for a few minutes, then they usually produce some vocalization and we compare these vocalizations from 
vocalizations that are produced by dogs that don't have such a separation anxiety and we try to figure out whether there could be these vocalizations could be used as a sort of diagnostic tool to find out whether the dog might uh, there is a problem or there is no problem because the other issue with all these dogs are that when the owners are realizing that the dogs uh, show these behaviors it's already usually quite late because they are not at home when the dogs are doing this it's usually earlier that the neighbors will realize that there's a problem because they hear the dogs uh, vocalizing in these flats and so on so we want to find out uh, or a method that could detect this problem as early as possible and by analyzing the vocalization we think that this uh, really might help oh that sounds amazing yeah well and when do you think you'll have um, some results published about that well, I mean, you never know in science because things are usually going <laughs> slower than we expect. But uh, I think during the autumn, we should have something. Have we should have out something on this. But just to tell you another issue, which is uh, I mentioned already, the the aging dog project, the senior family dog project. That's the official name of this <laughs> this research. Is that we want to find out, for example, really what sort of problems these old dogs might have and how what sort of uh, cognitive uh, problems they show. So we are developing now both tests to find out about problems of aged dogs and also in parallel we are developing simple tests that even owners or veterinarians can use to assess their vision, their hearing abilities, maybe also their olfactory abilities in order to find out whether some of those behavior problems might not be uh, originating from a sensory decline which is obviously different from the cognitive decline. So this is again a project that is now sort of uh, running and we hope that there are some results in a (laughs) relatively short time. Yeah. Wow. That's really exciting. I mean, that you guys are really on the cutting edge and it's just, it's amazing what you're, the work you're doing and how you're supporting family dogs and working dogs and all of our little angels that we love, our furry angels, as I usually call them, that, that make such an impact on our life and you're making an impact on their lives. So thank you so much for that. I could talk to you about this all day, Dr. McClosey, but I know our time is coming to an end, but I do want to ask you how how can our listeners get more information about you and the Family Dog Project if they want to learn about an online seminar or maybe even participate in a study? Well, the easiest thing is just if you type in in Google or any search engine, Family Dog Project, maybe Budapest, but it's not needed, then you should get on the one of the first links is our main project site, so the web page, where you find, as you mentioned, also not just the news, uh, the press releases, but also pictures. And we also have a YouTube channel that you can join if you want, or just on the YouTube, you find many videos from us. And the seminar is also advertised uh, beginning of autumn or from the fall. So if people are just following us from some time, we have also a Facebook place where people can support us. So I think there are very easy ways. I think the Family Dog Project is a very unique combination of three words. Not others using it. So just based on that, people could connect us very easily. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I hope you'll come back and visit with us again and share more of the research results that you're finding and and really tell us more about your incredible work. Yeah, I'm very happy to talk to you. It was really very nice. Thank you very much for the interview. (laughs) 
Thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming. And you can contact me at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we love seeing your photos, especially on Instagram. has been so fun. So please, please keep posting and contacting us. And we look forward to being with you again soon. So take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.